is so stoic. He's not enjoying this. I mean, it's not Christmas. I don't know why we're playing this. This isn't Christmas music. Yeah, it's Christmas. It's, it's just the theme song to Peanuts. I guess it was first used in like that Christmas special, but... I mean, who watches Peanuts other than the Christmas special? Oh, a lot of people. It's from the I, Christmas I, special. No, that's like the first time it was unveiled, but it's the... Anyway, we could talk about this after. And just enjoy it. It's catchy. I, and Christmas I, is my favorite holiday, but it's not Christmas. Are, are you right. going to intro the episode? Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to the 52nd and final episode of season one. And uh, that was that was a pretty abrupt <laughs> turndown of the music by Rich Greenfield. And we're also here along with Walter Pysik, as usual. Um Merry I guess Christmas, the music's are, <laughs> I guess the music's already controversial this week. It happened to be what was in my my head that dun, 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 dun. Um, I don't understand why it's necessarily Christmas music though. All, all I know is it makes me happy because it's a very happy I, I think peanuts just makes me happy in general. So that's <laughs> don't you, you want to be happy. happy? Yeah, generally. Yeah. Well, does it make you happy? You want to talk about Charles Schultz and some of his more controversial aspects? <laughs> that, that was not the intention here. It was just a song. It was just a catchy, uh, happy introduction, which is now taking on a life of its own. Indeed, we are we're we're literally less than two minutes into this podcast, and we've gone off the rails. Yes, well, I don't think this is that far off the rails for us, Rich. And it's a, it's all a process. We're yeah, getting ourselves warmed up to have an excellent conversation dis- on this I, I beautiful will, spring day. I will say I'm a little disturbed by your background, just especially with the way your head is in the background. It's very disturbing to look at you, and I'm having trouble. Oh, the people! At, <laughs> yeah, the people with Buzz Lightyear and sort of the coons. It's uh, it's 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 just a little disturbing, but I'll, I'll get over it. Now these the coons. These are dogs, right? They are. Okay, so I have I have an open question for you. Um, you know how is it Dogecoin or is it Doggy Coin? <laughs> I have no idea. No, um, idea. because the symbol's a dog, and that's what made me <laughs> want to choose this background. As that I think that coin is now up. Uh, that meme coin is now up like two hundred percent. And a founder that we invested in is tweeting about it, as Walt pointed out earlier. Oh, I think we should get to slide number one because, okay, you know, you, you're you're having trouble today. Am I? Um. <laughs> Someone else is having trouble. He can't even change the slide. He turned down the music abruptly. Let's go right to one of our favorite topic, which is Clubhouse. We've got two tweets today. Matt Navarra, uh, who is great at sort of all things social media tweeting, writes, uh, after spending much time on Clubhouse, I find many of the rooms boring, chaotic, self-indulgent, or at worst, scammy. Do you agree? And Do you Alex- agree? Do you agree? Okay, I'm sorry. Finish the next Hold tweet. Uh-huh. Hold on. Alex Kantrowitz, you know, someone I really like following on Twitter as well, writes, Clubhouse lately seems pretty dot, 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 quiet. 
And th the reason this is funny is someone literally was mentioned to me the other day that they added me to their clubhouse calendar, that they invited me to something on clubhouse. And I was like, dude, I haven't been on clubhouse in over two weeks. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but like, I haven't even gone on. And it's just sort of, I feel like it's just, you know, the alerts, I, I see the alerts, like they just keep coming in and in and in. And I just don't, I, I've gotten so sort of like, I uh, just sort of gotten so annoyed by them. I've stopped sort of, you know, opening up and listening. And I think a lot of people probably just from those two tweets, I think a lot of people are getting the same feeling. I'm I'm going to respond to this because I was a huge proponent of Clubhouse. I do believe that the format um, has a lot of merit. It It's been only a couple of months, but I've actually been disappointed in the overall direction of where it's gone. I think a lot of the more interesting conversations that excited me about Clubhouse uh, at the beginning, um, instead of evolving to even better conversations and really finding formats that work, again, it's early. I have also noticed over um, the last few weeks that it's gotten you know, a little more, I think the self-indulgence of the platform, which annoyed me at first and then didn't annoy me, annoys me again. And I think there's been a lot of repetition in the conversations that have happened. And I might, I'm, I'm not yet admitting defeat, but the idea that it is a, just a feature um, is something that I'm taking, you know, thinking more about. And if I'm wrong on this, I'm wrong and will happily admit defeat. I'm not sure yet, honestly, though, because I think a, there could be a lot of cool shit. And I think of a lot of awesome use cases for it, but it's really just not going in that direction um, the last uh, couple of weeks. And it seems the like it's curation. Still, the word curation it's really, is really it's not just curate. It's just really dominated by kind of still the Silicon Valley tech scene and people who want to hear themselves speak and just seems like it's, you know, no, I guess I think, I think it's also Andreessen big... is pulling a 16 is pulling the strings on it and trying to will it to success. And I don't know the last few weeks have not been good. I hope that turns around because I found it very there to be great discussions for a period of time. That's all I'm going to say. Podcast listeners know my view on Clubhouse, and so these these tweets that Rich featured um, are certainly no surprise, and they're perhaps at least a month late in what has been happening in Clubhouse. And I, you know, I, first, first of all, Brian, I, the only thing I would disagree with you on is I don't think it is like just the tech insufferability because there's just a lot of scam artists on there now. Like, <laughs> like it's just it's infomercial after infomercial of just not interesting stuff, but. I'm actually flipping the other way now. Like, yeah, like Twitter, it, it could be a great feature. So this this functionality. But, you know, after talking to Odyssey, you know, and you think about the hosts that they have um, to create a purpose-driven, basically radio app, um, it, it has potential in, conceptually that way also as a purpose-driven app. Although, well, you know, iHeart has way, 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 way more content and way more radio stations. So, so maybe they do if, it also. Sure. Right. Then, and then it's just all, again, the fact that it could well, still be a purpose-driven well, solution for, for one sliver of content. For Twitter, I think it's a different thing. And I think it could be a very attractive feature within your existing feed. I don't, they just, 
you're talking about it being a feature though for Odyssey on their app, in addition to the podcasts that they have there, the radio stations, and so on and so forth. So you are actually talking about it being a feature okay. and not a purpose-driven app. It is purpose-driven as an audio destination. Gotcha. That's true. That is true. So yes, I right. guess I'm, again, back firmly in the feature camp. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you are. Um, yeah. Look, we'll, we'll see. Does there need to be a destination again for this particular format? Look, I, I think there will be. No, no, no. I think there will be destinations. I just think it's not going to be a winner take all. I think there's going to be just tons of live audio. I mean, look, well, then the it's funny not part a destination, of the con- Rich, you're misunderstanding what the word destination means. It means that when you want to have this type of live conversation, group conversation that's open or close, this is the place that you go. That's a destination. If it's just a format that is resident in other applications, then it's a feature. I'm going to say this then. I think the only thing that's going to allow what you just said to to be a destination is there has to be something so dramatically different or a scale of users that is so much better. That's the direction it seemed it was going in like for a little while and the conversations I'm telling you, like uh, things I was interested in things that I didn't know about. I was addicted to it for a while. And it just seems like the content fell off a fucking cliff. I, and maybe it's reopening in springtime and people are out and about. I don't know why, but the last few weeks have been as that both those tweets said, scammy, um, uh, self-indulgent, um, a little coin, ever, Coinbase, basically, it Coinbase has been quiet. Apps. You can't I, get I, Elon to show up every day. That's the bottom line. <laughs> right. Sorry. Okay. Let, let's move on. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk Roblox because there was big news out of Roblox, Brandon. Big news. Um, I'll read this from Bloomberg Markets. Shares of Roblox and Hasbro climbed on Tuesday after the companies announced a deal to create new Nerf and Monopoly products based on the video game platform. And this is something with regard to Roblox that we've spoken a lot about, which is the integration of IRL brands and and, um, media properties into the Roblox platform and also the cross promotion of Roblox outside of the Roblox platform. this is going to happen much, much more. Hasbro is not the first deal. I think that they're working on several with several other brands and media properties to build out, you know, what they call the metaverse. Um, on, so just like just like seeing Marvel inside of Fortnite makes total sense. Seeing it's Hasbro, same, which is toys for that generation it, that it's, lives and it's breathes a, on it's Roblox, the same, it's the same thing. And you'll see a Monopoly game on Roblox, which is actually kind of the perfect, um, like board games work. Why? Because they're very highly social. They're slower. You're hanging out while you're playing them. That works. But you're also going to see streaming video. You're also going to see things done by the music industry. And there's a real professional ecosystem of studios that are going to build on Roblox in addition to the UGC that we see now. You mean that 15-year-olds are not building this for Nerf and Monopoly? I mean, no offense to the 15-year-olds. I don't don't think so. But we 
just looking at the things we've looked at in the venture business lately, there's a bunch of studios that are out there raising money to be professional studios on Roblox and, and other I, pieces and I, of the ecosystem. And this to me sort of seems like the flywheel, right? Like you get better and better content, more, you know, higher quality content, bigger, broader content, you know. deeper content brings more people into the funnel. There's an embedded social network. So you have multiple flywheels kind of combining and spinning. And that's why we're so bullish on Roblox. So speaking of, of uh, kind of platforms that are built around games, we've got big news also out of Epic raising at, I guess, an increasingly Epic valuation, Brandon. Is that my, a good <laughs> oh, play on words? Clever. You are so rich. I'm having fun today. I'm having fun. I'm back, baby. I'm back. I was a little slow to start, but I'm ready. Yeah, I don't think the neurons were firing at the beginning, yeah, but they, they appear to be connecting now. Um, so this is Epic Games announces it has completed a billion-dollar round of funding today. $200 million of that are from Sony to further deepen their close relationship. Um, so, look... Uh, I think the valuation on this was 29 billion, which is actually a 35% discount to Roblox. And we, when we talk about interactive media, the build out of the building blocks of Metaverse, um, obviously Epic is in a fantastic position. They're already monetizing and continue to monetize this shit at a fortnight. It's actually surprised me that the round was done at a discount to where Roblox is trading in the public markets, because between the game engine um, side of the business, the Fort Fortnite and the on and off platform building blocks of Metaverse, you would have think it would have been at um, at a premium. But I think there's probably some trepidation around. Tim, because Tim, like at least for a while, well, wants to be big super fucking there's a big, disruptive. There's a big lawsuit, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, he's going after that lawsuit and he gave up the ability to have um, Fortnite and other owned Epic properties on, um, on mobile, where two thirds of Roblox is on mobile and there's a huge opportunity. So, you know, I think it's not for everyone, but over many, many years, that company is is quite powerful. So we've got a Wall Street Journal story, a tie-up between television, Televisa and Univision that creates a new company with our favorite company, Walt SoftBank, as an investor, aims to expand streaming video services in the underserved Spanish-speaking markets. Now, I, sort of what I find, we'll come back to SoftBank in a second, because I'm sure Walt has thoughts on SoftBank putting in a billion dollars into this. But but what is interesting about this is for a long time, one of the big problems of Univision was that they were held hostage because there was a separate content arm. They had to buy content from, from Televisa. They didn't have control of their content. It really made it difficult for them to quickly pivot and adapt because they were two separate companies. And you were really looking at regionally running this business versus thinking, you know, North Americans or, you know, all the Americas, let alone globally. And, you know, you go back to Netflix, they launched in Mexico, sorry, they launched in Latin America in like 10 years ago. <laughs> they, they launched globally. What? That was CES 2016 when we were there, Brandon, you think when oh, Reed God. was on stage? They're, they're all blending together at this point, I, especially I, since I, we didn't have one last year. I think it was 2016 when we were when Reed was on stage. Netflix with that everywhere. Big announcement. Right. So 
it's pretty clear that the world is global and content is global. And, and yet, you know, sort of the, the crazy part about this has been these companies were attacking this regionally. And I think this is a big acknowledgement that the game is changing, that they've got to. I mean, you know, it, I'm going to pull up, I'm going to just call an audible because I think it fits so perfectly right now. But if you look at sort of the other news that came out this week is that um, there's been a huge bidding war. We've got a Hollywood Reporter story here that the foreign markets become next big battleground as streamers bet big on global growth. And so w- when you think about something like that, you're going, it's okay. Hilarious. Apple's creating content overseas. HBO now is. Netflix um, is Disney. so far ahead there. And think about what Iger said when Disney Plus launched, which really wasn't that long ago. He, he said, oh, we don't need to have foreign language content, localized content, because Disney is just universal and it's good enough that it's, it's all American content. And now there's this shift and everybody is catching on once again to what Netflix did ahead of everybody else and going long on building localized content. Well, our, our good friend, Jason Hershon, uh, friend of the pod, Jason Hershon at Media Redef, he tweeted out uh, yesterday and he, he literally tagged me and he had a mother duck uh, jumping into the water oh, yeah, that was and, funny. Then, and, and then had seven little ducks and basically tagged it as Netflix and le- le- legacy media. And that's essentially to me, that's Televisa Univision, right? Like they're behind. They're yep. yet one of these companies that has been behind, just like Discovery and Viacom and all of these companies one by one have been behind. And they're all realizing world is going to streaming. We've got to pivot to the internet hard. We've got to get some scale. And I think obviously it makes a lot of sense Televisa, Televisa and Univision coming together like this. It's a brilliant transaction. It's a little late, but I, I do think it is the right strategic direction for these companies to, to move. And it'll be interesting when they launch a, a big global SVOD, I assume within the next 12 months, you know, it's going to be interesting. Spanish language SVOD, to be clear. Yeah, but- Sure. But I also think of Netflix as sort of Spanish language, too. Like these companies are not just one language, right? Like that's going to be the challenge is I don't think it's one language. Everyone's going to have to be in all languages. Everyone's going to have to be. Right. So does does this work then? Probably does. Right. As as a not every single SVOD needs to be, you know, uh, four quadrants or or fully global. It I. There are probably there's a lot of Spanish speaking people that that could appeal to or but people I do have Spanish to, heritage that speak English. But I do just have to digress because it was funny to see Marcelo get on. And we love Marcelo on this podcast. Obviously, Marcelo gets on to the to the the uh, the event because obviously SoftBank's putting in a billion and basically starts comparing SoftBank's it to not putting Disney. In a billion. They're leading a billion round. Sorry, leading a billion dollar round. Marcelo right. was on, though, representing SoftBank, talking about how this is going to be the Disney of Spanish language and how basically, you know, look at what's happened to Disney's valuation since the launch of Disney plus look at what can happen to this company with the launch. Look at what happened to Viacom after the launch of Paramount plus it went to a hundred and then back to 40. Did Marcelo put up his middle finger? Like he does on all his, we work tweets where he's like, we got a $9 billion valuation in our SPAC, which who the fuck knows where that'll trade, right? Only down from the $47 million that we did the last round in or whatever it was. So this this five, this five investment came from the LATAM fund. But that's not part of the, the Vision Fund or the Vision oh. Fund 2. So this is not the Saudi money. Um, this is another $5 billion that Marcelo 
um, specifically has the ability to invest. And five billion, it's tough to invest five billion in Latin America. So this was kind of people were, were wondering with five billion dollars, um, you know, could you basically do what SoftBank did in 2018 and 2019 and like overfund these companies so they just basically blow all the competition out of the water. So that still may be hard to do. Maybe there's a change in strategy. Maybe Marcelo's strategy is different slightly than Massa's, but certainly this is this takes a big chunk. You know, if they led, maybe they're doing a half a billion, 300 million, whatever the number is, but that's a big chunk out of the 5 billion um, that he's investing in, in Latin America. Well, and look, they're going to need more money. I mean, Netflix is now spending seventeen and a half billion. My guess is this is yeah, but this I mean, is whether it comes from SoftBank or not. Right. Well, but I, look, I think ultimately this is going to have to be bigger and bigger. And um, so if that's uh, so if that's know, a we'll if that's a SoftBank thematic, and you need capital to basically create more content, then sure, SoftBank's the guy for you to to whether it's Marcelo, Massa, or whoever to just write big checks to to buy content, right? Well, it could be. I mean. Do they have enough to get the virtuous circle going where they could just reinvest revenue and and raise in a more limited capacity similar to what Netflix is? I don't think SoftBank worries about reinvesting revenue. I think if they think they can write big checks, they'll just write big checks. Yeah. They'll write bigger and bigger checks, you're saying. we're, We're missing one other piece of this. It is, I mean, knowing that Wade Davis and the team at Searchlight Capital just basically acquired Univision before they did this transaction, I think it's highly likely that within the next 12 months, this company's public. So this is probably, this is probably step one to raising capital from the public markets is my guess to go along with that SoftBank capital. And hopefully I would assume SoftBank's hoping that that IPO makes this valuation that they're investing at look smart. On to the next. Uh, Had a few sports betting slides this week, including the NFL announcing deals with Caesars, DraftKings, and FanDuel. Really, no surprise on DraftKings and FanDuel, Brandon. I mean, obviously, the two biggest players by far. I'm a little surprised to see Caesars there, but yeah, I think you've got a view on why Caesars is there. Probably money talks. (laughs) That's I assume these are the companies that were willing to put up the most money to have an official partnership with the NFL. Isn't that usually how it works? Well, I also get, I would also think that maybe Barstool just given Portnoy and um, Goodell's historic relationship. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) Maybe they weren't first on the list for the NFL, at least as they're cutting these partnerships. There could have been MGM. There could have been others. Yeah. No, totally. I just, it was interesting. I was surprised to just see the Caesars brand as one of three here. But look, we had a meeting with Brian Rolap. Um, we had a light shed premium access a few weeks ago. He clearly indicated that, you know, we haven't set all the specifics for betting. We're going to be working on what those partnerships for sports books and for media properties look like, but it's all contemplated in their recent set of deals. And so uh, clearly the NFL is getting more into this, which is, you know, interesting because at the exact same time, we've got news out of, Um, ESPN this week, and I'm just going to put up the slide because it shows what it looks like. ESPN did a sports betting cast for um, the NBA the other day. For the 76ers. Yeah. So they've actually got, um, you know, we're showing on screen for those of you that are watching that they've got live basketball and there's, you know, they've got what are the prop bets at the bottom. They've got, you know, um, odds to win when they're doing their, you know, sort of daily wager talk show. I mean, this is ESPN who wanted no part of, of sports that, betting. That was another Iger thing. 
before he left. He said that they will never facilitate sports betting. And here we are. Obviously, it's under different management, but I don't think he realized that the industry was going to take off to the extent it was and that media would be so closely linked with it. So. I remember last week on the pod, we were talking about, you know, why isn't DraftKings and ESPN merging? Why isn't FanDuel and and Fox merging? Like, you know, those are things that seem not crazy to think about. As you see on-screen graphics like that, it, it's hard not to think about it. It's, and it's, it's, I mean, it's possible. I, I just don't believe personally that the preponderance of viewership on, of sports is going to be betting related. That's my personal view. I don't know if you guys differ. Meaning you don't think the average sports fan wants to see that on-screen stuff. I honestly don't. I, t- I still think that what's amazing about sports is the story as it unfolds, the characters who are the players and the teams. Um, I, I still think that's what's most interesting about sports and that – uh, sports betting, while it can drive additional viewership, which has which has not yet been proven, but theoretically can drive additional viewership, is is supplemental to that. But I don't know what you guys think. Well, I think that there is probably probably it depends on you know the how diehard of a fan you are. Like I think the more diehard fans, you know, a good percentage of them are really sort of in tune with like odds to win and maybe not all of the prop stuff all the time, but I do think that sort of odds and, you know, I think that does. And I think those people like, okay, I was watching that Sixers game the other night. I actually watched the Sixers net straight through since it was, you know, battle for first place. And by the way, the Sixers almost blew it. Um, But if I was betting on it, my engagement as a sports fan probably would have been, would be more for games, whether they're blowouts or not, because I can micro bet and bet as the odds change and stuff like that. Maybe, right? I don't know how many additionals it brings into the funnel. Sorry, it feels like it should. No, it feels like it should be a second screen thing. But the reality is, like maybe some nights you're just not into betting. So if it induces you to pick up your phone to play some bets, then you know, and so be it, right? It's just it's just advertisements. Like I, you know, I was irritated by erectile dysfunction ads that are on the. <laughs> where the players would run out on the field and you'd have all that shit. That, but that's, like, that's more of an MLB advertisement. You're watching, with your, you're watching with your kid. No, it didn't football. I don't know if they still do this. They would run out of the tunnel and whatever, whatever the, the brands are like, I'm like watching with my kids. Like, what the hell is that? I'm like, you know, so that was irritating, but whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still going to enjoy the sports, even if there's noise around it. I want to read two messages that just came into our group chat. Um, Mark and Joe are watching this. Mark says, yeah, Brandon, it's no different than us watching a shitty NFL game because we have the running back in fantasy. So that proves it. And then Joe Galone chimes in with golf is ED. (laughs) Just describing it as a sport. The sport itself is erectile. No, I think he's saying that all the erectile (laughs) dysfunction ads. I mean, are you claiming that I didn't watch these football games and see these ads? Because (laughs) I I did not imagine that. Like in baseball, maybe they don't occur anymore. But for for the Mets, they used to have Viagra ads right behind home plate, like on every pitch. And and maybe, um, yeah, I don't know if that's a. Has What's the other one called Leviathan? Some, there's another one, right? 
As if you don't know, Walt. Please. <laughs> I don't know. The, 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 the problem, guys. The problem, guys, is 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 Leviathan. <laughs> it was this something is, like we're, that. We're going That's right Thomas off the. Hobbs. We're going right off the rails again. So the the, the reality is, to this fantasy, all of the diehards are already, already watching because they're involved in fantasy, and so it, it does raise the question of like, is this really additive? Is sports betting going to be additive to viewership? Because Masters was at a you know at a twenty eight year low, like. It is not obvious to me that this is the savior for live ratings. Is it incremental revenue opportunity? Sure. But I don't know if it really makes all, I know everyone thinks it's the savior for ratings, but I keep coming back to that piece. For for average minute ratings, but we've talked about this too. There is a flip side or can be to all this betting stuff. Like what does it do to local team loyalty? What is right? What what is it do, like? Does it adulterate the sport and make the if it is overdone, make the whole storybook and innocent be, be, aspect to sports go away? Be careful what you wish for is, is really the the key it's takeaway. Possible. Every, everyone's excited about sports betting, and there is a potential risk to this whole thesis. Listen, Let's sports just betting. Sports bet. Hold on, sports betting is not new. I mean, what year was the Black Sox? No, well, I, was, I was just thinking about that. But that's the point, Brandon. Right? Sorry, that's the, but that's the I point. Think it was well, it's not. It's not new. It's Mark just legal. Time in, you'll know new. this, right? Nineteen eighteen. Okay. But but let's. There there is one funny thing that happened this week that I, I that I just had to sort of uh, shine a light on in sports betting, which is DraftKings is hiring chief media officer uh, to evaluate potential media acquisitions and content efforts. This is Sarah Fisher broke the story. Um, they they just spent a hundred million dollars to acquire um, Vison, which is a live sports betting. Uh, platform that Brandon and I had met with several times yeah, over the which, years. Which, by the way, we didn't know what the price tag on that, and there was rumors that it was an aqua hire. So good for them getting a hundred million bucks. But but the funny part is, is who DraftKings hired? They hired the guy that was overseeing what service had go, at, at Verizon Go ninety. So <laughs> it's just sort of funny that that was the person that got picked for this. So it'll be interesting to see. I still think that a much bigger scale move is going to be required on the media side, which is why like ESPN merged with DraftKings still to me feels like a lot more sense than smaller acquisitions, but uh, we'll see where they go. By the way, for those that actually do care, Mark now says it was 1919 and points out we wow. got mixed up well, because that's, that's 1918 was the Red Sox World Series. <laughs> anyway, on to the Thanks next. For that clarification. Thank uh, you, Mark. Alex Heath. Alex Heath out with a story about a hiring of Apple hiring a former Warner Media exec. But the real pitch in here or the real interesting uh, is what he tweeted out specifically. And I'll read it. Apple, quote, has told studio executives it is looking to do more than 10 to 12 movies a year, end quote, for Apple TV Plus. And this has been a very big theme of ours uh, repeatedly that Apple is just so much more serious than investors are paying attention to. They are making very, very big moves on the movie side, not just on the TV side, but on the movie side. They're not going to have, you know, they might have 15 or 30 day windows. It's going to be very short windows before it gets to Apple TV Plus. There's no DVD cycle like they are looking to really build out with very high quality movies in 22 and 23. I think investors are going to be shocked at the quality of the Apple movie slate. And it's just more and more data points keep leading in this direction. And it's just, it's going to put pressure on all of the studios. I mean, we were sort of making fun of Warner. Walt was upset. They're sort of going back to the future in terms of, you know, you know, in terms of going back to 45 day windows. 
I don't think Apple's going to do a 45 day window for their movies. I think there'll be some window, but I don't think it's going to be 45 days. And I think you're going to see a lot of pressure as the tech companies keep pushing harder and harder. It's going to force all of these old school Hollywood studios to move closer and closer to day and date. Um, let's, uh, since the next topic, sorry, is 5G. Uh, sorry, it's C-band, Walt. Sorry, C-band. I forgot the order. Sorry, my bad. So again, those neurons, Rich. Neurons. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I know. It's Friday. It's Friday. I'm sorry. Get your coffee. Um, So Fierce Wireless has a tweet talking about Verizon readies their C-band deployments with Crown Castle and SBA. This was referring to a transaction that Verizon entered into with SBA and Crown Castle, um, talking about using tons of cell sites and and moving to massive MIMO. Um, So this is more of the kind of continuation of the post Verizon investor day where it was like, Oh, we don't need to densify. And you know, we're going to see band we're going to use with our existing towers and everything's going to be fine. Since that time, there's been, you know, they've kind of been reversing on that somewhat or changing the, the narrative somewhat. And this is again, evidence that macro towers and putting more macro and densifying the macro towers outside of the cities is going to be important in order to make this C band work and to compete with T-Mobile. And another interesting quote that came out this week was from Kyle Malladay, who's the, is the kind of the primary Verizon engineer. They've got several um, saying he was, they were talking about uplink spectrum. This basically be, says using a, like a legato or something else to help the network perform better. So you don't have to add as many cell sites and densify. It's like all of a sudden they, he reserves the right to handle uplink connections in other bands. That just means adding supplemental uplink. So, the the answer on investor day was no we don't need that this spectrum per, per, you know performs perfectly Wait, well sorry how long ago was that when was the analyst day uh, it feels day? like about a month ago but times a blur okay um, so we're already shifting from a month ago we don't need uplink and then they got they got torn apart by like t-mobile the next day at t-mobile's investor day uh-huh. so now like well we reserve the right to use supplemental uplink and then also when you're talking about densification towers well we were talking about densification being done in the urban markets, but we still have to do it. So in the urban markets, you don't use tower companies, you use rooftops. So this was the whole point that you need. And when you talk about sub, or when you talk about rural, it's not rural. Like, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut is not rural and that's macro towers. And they're going to need technically more macro towers to provide the same type of coverage there. And that's where these tower companies have asset. I know the where I where I live in this road, it's a crown castle tower that's going to need um, a new massive MIMO antenna. So it's just kind of a, you know, it's 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 important to kind of stay on top of these <laughs> changes, even though it's it's been happening so quickly. But, but let me just slow you down because what the thing I'm trying to understand is what would be the reason for sort of the original sort of we don't need this was is it cost? Like why are they sort of why do you think for, they were in were pushing back on this at least originally? It's bravado relative to T-Mobile and and saying that you know they can get this out quickly and they don't have to spend more. It's just. It's just, you know, bravado, even though engineers and we've written about this right. a lot and said every engineer said the opposite of what they were saying. And now they are <laughs> effectively, you know, kind of changing the narrative. What's also interesting, if you go to the next tweet, is the bigger issue here in terms of what is 5G. And there was a, this Ed Gubbins, who's an analyst, um, pulled out basically profiling Vodafone's launch of what I would consider is true 5G. And basically, this means putting a 5G 
core. So you're not kind of mixing two together. Like I've talked before in this podcast about how when you see 5G on your Verizon phone, most of that data is actually going through an LTE connection. You're not getting the better latency. You know, you're not getting this ability to network slice. So they finally did it in Europe through Vodafone. And one of the benefits Ed is highlighting here, let me just read the tweet. With the switch to 5G standalone, meaning not melding it with LTE, the range of the 5G stations, this is the coverage that we've talked about, will also increase by 20%. In addition, energy consumption for users with 5G standalone drops by almost 20% because the smartphone no longer has to dial into 5G and LTE networks at the same time. So again, a fascinating point, because if you remember, we talked on this podcast a couple of weeks ago about how there was that Verizon customer care tweet about saying like, hey, turn off your 5G if, if your battery life is killing. So why is that happening? Because Verizon isn't giving you real 5G. They're, they're melding LTE and 5G together. So the true 5G is this core and it only has just begun in Europe. Um, so well, I, I was just going to raise that point. So this means they won't have to do that alert anymore. They they won't have to tweet out at you to turn off your 5G anymore. I mean, if they deploy if, this, if and when they convert to a true standalone 5G. So there's really only one carrier that's talked about standalone 5G getting there quickly. It's Dish. Now on the flip side, like Dish, you got to build the fucking network. <laughs> like you know, you talked about having a market open by the end of whatever it was 2020. Now, now Charlie's saying one market in in Q3 of of this year, and and the hope is that he gets 100 million pops within six months um, after that. So it's possible that Dish will have the first true 5G network um, in the U.S. And we def- again, we're defining that as like 5G with the radios, but also 5G in the core. And now you're starting to define why that's important. And again, in that Ed Coven's tweet, because your phone battery life won't fucking die and you won't have to turn off 5G because your battery life is getting crushed. As one example of many potential benefits when you put a true 5G all the way into the core um, network. And what is the earliest? I mean, if you had a guess, like if if Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile wanted to roll this out in the US and follow Vodafone, like when is the earliest I could have true 5G in New York City? I mean, they, it's an evolutionary process and it depends on if you can do your uplink and downlink, you know, in the same band. You know, Chet is doing that. Um, I think it's right, Starry yeah. and that's a benefit yeah. from what they're doing. Um, Verizon has been trying to use uplink and some of their fixed access. So maybe towards the end of the year, you'll see some some limited um, solutions. But right now it's it's probably it's going to be necessary for them to kind of meld these two networks together. Brandon, you want to talk Ticketmaster or Live Nation? Indeed. I a can little do crypto. That. <laughs> uh, this is from the ticketing business. It says Live Nation FR, which is France, has teamed up with Fandragon and Aventus Network to launch digital entertainment wallet Tix2.me. And so um, Fandragon has created a universal smart wallet for NFTs. Um, and Aventus, I think, is the blockchain provider. It's a second layer on top of Ethereum. The bottom line here is I don't fully understand what, like, why this is necessarily happening because all of the advantages of the blockchain are or almost all of them are resident in the digital ticket that Live Nation has been talking about and has been rolling out for a couple of years now. And we could just go through them 
right? Um, I, I, I you, can transfer my ticket. I can transfer well, my ticket. Well, I you could you could transfer it anyhow. But what's different about it is when you transfer me the ticket, there's a ledger. So the Live Nation and Ticketmaster, and by virtue because they pass the information on, the artist knows that you bought the ticket. And yeah. and I use the ticket, right? Which is powerful data, right? The yeah. digital ticket allows that. The ability to control secondary market availability and pricing by putting that metadata and that control into the ticket, right? The ability to speak to the ticket holders through the Live Nation app um, by knowing who it is individually that possesses the ticket and to send them offers. So, so the only all, real difference would be opening I, this up beyond just the internal I, Live Nation. Well, well, that that's that's the thing, right? But again, I, even with you know second layer and like you know putting things on the the ledger in batch, whatever it may be, it's still much more. Um, it's much more costly. It is much slower still. So I don't, I don't really understand the advantages and why Live Nation Ticketmaster would go there at this point. Does a universal well, wallet it, make I, sense? You know, hold maybe. on, hold on. Don't you think everyone, I mean, every, I was just talking to a movie studio exec, like they're thinking about like every single well, business that we're looking at is trying to learn about NFTs and crypto. And so part of this right. could just be experimentation France oh, is course. obviously not the biggest yes. market. Like, yes. learn and we and we know with Ticketmaster is becoming one global organization right now. There, it's operated um, as on a regionalized or market by market basis. So it's possible that in France it makes sense to do this experimentation. It also might make sense because that's an allocation market instead of um, a market where venue exclusivity. I don't know. I wouldn't look too much into this, though. I think Live Nation Ticketmaster is pretty committed to the digital ticketing technology that serves a lot of these benefits. So you want to just walk us through? Uh, they're a little oh, wrestling. Brandon we Thurston. Talked, we we haven't talked wrestling in a while. I love on this, this so guy. Like I love this go. guy. By the way, um, he uh, he's really good on wrestling. Anyway. Um, he says AEW Dynamite on TNT last night was viewed by 1,219,000 people. It's second biggest audience ever, short of its debut in October 2019. AEW was unopposed by NXT as the latter recently moved to Tuesdays. Okay, so NXT and AEW were thought to be equivalents. NXT is the minor leagues, essentially, the developmental league for the main roster at WWE, which performs on Raw and SmackDown. In the most recently signed NXT deal, they moved at nights. All of a sudden, AEW now is doing 1.2 million viewers and, and sorry, NXT on that when it when alone only gained like four percent coming out of wrestlemania anyway so wait, wait, but it, hold on it, but hold on but hold on so how many viewers watch like, like raw seven and, and like so okay this is where i was gonna go right raw has about one point it's been recently like 1.7 or so million viewers not this week because it was out of wrestlemania but even the the sort of um last show that i think they call it the take-home show 
or go home show before mania was 1.7 million viewers. So you're only 35% short of that in AEW now. And I think that investors need to start taking this, you know, a little bit more seriously. Maybe AEW is more competitive with the main roster as opposed to competitive with NXT and being alone is going to allow you know more viewers uh, to see the content and perhaps it becomes you know bigger quicker. I mean it's, a million two a, a million it. hold on a million two on TNT is actually like a By the way, pretty it's, big number. You want to compare it to shit on TNT? NBA basketball. Like how many well, viewers I, does I, NBA basketball do so, uh, if LeBron so, is playing Giannis? 1.3 or four? But but also the difference here is TNT that they own AEW. Um, I think they have like now partial owner um, um, ownership through the television deal. I'm not exactly sure how um, that works, but the actual owner um, uh, of of AEW Con the, is the same guy who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars and is a huge uh, wrestling fan. Because it seems like AEW's valuation is going up a lot just looking at those statistics. Like, I, you know, just given what other rights, what, you know, I mean, $200 million is what the WWE Network just sold to Peacock for. Like, on those types of numbers, yeah. again, I just, th- those numbers look real. I mean, not yeah. that 800,000 isn't, but like one, two, it's a pretty big number for what is thought as second tier wrestling relative to WWE historically. Oh, absolutely. Um, and we'll see if that allows them to attract more talent out of WWE as there is a light to them becoming much bigger. So it's just, it's stuff to watch. It's also possible, you know, that the success lifts all boats and there's a wrestling renaissance of sort, but I, I don't think that's probably the answer. Rich, you kind of sounded like Larry David there for a second. It's pretty, pretty. Well, well, now, Walt, let's you and Brent. This is, you know, if I think about what Walt and I try to do all the time, is we try to get Brandon to actually do things that are good for himself. And so, like what we we always try to have you like improve and relax and de stress. And the reality (laughs) is, you're not very good at it. And so, what what I thought was interesting about the next slide is that we're trying to combine one of your favorite things. What a segue, Rich. What what a segue so, and a band that you know that I've loved. I love right. Um, so they haven't put out like anything worthwhile in in quite a while, but those sort of mid two thousand mid to late two thousands were some good years. And The Verge says Arcade Fire released an epic forty five minute single in Headspace's meditation app. So we had Headspace on Light Shed Live a couple of weeks ago. And the point that they kept stressing was Headspace isn't just um, a meditation app. It's overall, it's a lifestyle app um, that gives you a lot of things to do to um, improve your life and I guess kind of entertain yourself along the way. And I just found this very interesting. This this music, it's a 145 minute track, which is supposed to be you know, meditative um, in sound and relaxing. I have not yet listened to it, even though you know I like forty-five minute jams. So, <laughs> I will. I will get there this weekend. Um, let's go to the. You know, if I look at the the the. Uh, this is. I don't know why this is doing this. 
Uh, <laughs> neurons, neurons. No, no, no. It's just it was it was cycling through, and I don't know why it wasn't working. Um, but we've got uh, sort of we got two funny tweets to end the week. I'm going to start with the absurd, and before we go into, I think what'll end up being a little bit of vicious. But we'll start with the absurd. So Adam Aaron, who's become a fixture on our podcast, is the CEO of AMC. Uh, he has essentially been, at least for the moment, been saved from "quote unquote" bankruptcy by the by the Reddit Wall Street bets crowd. And I thought it was interesting that, despite the fact that like his valuation continues to make no sense, he was asked <laughs> by Trades Trey, uh, who is uh, has a YouTube show and is uh, kind of a, a an online trader. And he goes. Adam goes, I would be delighted to engage with you and your subscribers since you and so many of them are AMC shareholders. After all, our shareholders are the owners of our company, which means, of course, I work for all of you, Adam Aaron, CEO, AMC Entertainment. And then Adam just went, actually went on uh, Trade's Trey YouTube show and actually um, spent some time and actually said, if I get the authorization to massively dilute all of you uh, down, because he I don't think to, they necessarily know what dilution means. Go they on. They have no idea. But they have 450 million shares outstanding and said, if I get the authorization to issue another 500 million shares, that I won't do it until next year, uh, which is sort of interesting because right now the stock is, right now the stock's trading at $9, it, um, probably is worth nothing. And so if the reality is the company should be issuing. Rich, you have, a, you have a price target above zero on it. Yeah. So it's not worth yes. nothing, Rich. It's worth it's a penny. It's worth a penny. penny. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> here's the, but, but here's the problem. I think all of us have continued to criticize companies who don't take advantage of the market while we're still in this situation. Who knows what the market's going to be like in 22 or later? They should be, if, if they do anything, they should be taking it. If they get the authorization, they should be taking advantage of it immediately, not waiting until 2022 and seeing what the world looks like in 2022. And it just, I mean, the, the challenge that he just created for himself is this, if that's on a recorded line and you just told well, investors, <laughs> and you just told investors you're not going to do something, what if he ends up actually doing it? And then they said, oh, you said you weren't going to do it. And I bought on the, on the, not, not. Well, I don't know is it going to be like one of those we'll be, days we'll on Bloomberg when a stock goes down and all of a sudden there's like scrolling headlines? This, like this firm launches class action. Well, those, those things are launches. that's that, that's all <laughs> made of bullshit anyway. I know. Class action. That, that, it just those mean me nothing in the grand scheme of things. But yes, they are hilarious though. Yes. Every time a stock goes down, someone's suing. I think I think it's like if it go a stock moves two point two percent, it automatically <laughs> triggers a lawsuit by. Flegal Schlemel it's like the, the ambulance chasers and, of the financial yeah. world. <laughs> I, I will say just because we can't go a podcast without talking about it. There is, if you go on to Bloomberg, there must be this many lawsuits against Fubo for their I disclosure. Know, but Rich, that, that's all bullshit lawsuits anyway. You know, I, I know real. the stock is down from 53 to 19, but who's counting? Um, Apparently you are. I am. Yes. So <laughs> final tweet, Walt, this is all you, because I know you were tweeting this about this earlier me. in the week. Oh yeah, I did dunk on it. So this is light reading. Um, Biden's bringing up Biden's broadband bill, but there was an analyst, um, Craig Moffitt of Moffitt of the, I think uh, the, they say, they say the eponymous Moffitt Nathanson, <laughs> because light reading really likes to put profile of the stuff could somehow, because I make guess the nice research, I, right. That's true. I can't, I, I, I can't say that I've read the research, but what was highlighted by light reading um, basically says that the argument is 
a direct TV, basically broadband bill, getting rural broadband is going to quote torpedo a direct TV dish combo. So I'm not. Well, first, well, I'm going to explain. The, I'm going to explain the logic. So the, the logic here is that because broadband will be built out in rural areas, it will destroy the satellite video business at even a faster rate than it's already dying. And that will make it hard for these two companies to merge because they're going to go to zero so fast, there'd be no purpose essentially to merge. So, but the whole incentive, first of all, no shit that obviously broadband is going to hurt the pay TV business. The pay TV business is a shit business. Like Rich Greenfield, who's on this podcast, has talked about good luck bundle and good luck TV. Hashtag good luck bundle, good luck TV. For years. So like welcome to reality. Um, But like the whole point though is why wouldn't you look for any which way to lower your cost structure in what's effectively a business that's like a runoff business, right? It just, it, it makes, it doesn't make, I mean, I don't, I just don't understand the concept because, and by the way, the prior argument was, oh, the regulators wouldn't approve it. So it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. The regulators won't approve it without competition, but if broadband competition's there, you're not going to do it somehow because the market is so shitty. But if the market's so shitty, that's exactly what you have to fucking do. Like, uh, but, what are you but, but talking a, about? Hold, like, hold on. But there's a whole nother crazy part I did of this. My head that's, scratch that's, thing. But the bonkers here, but here's what's bonkers. Let's just say Biden's bill, which I know, you know, we were talking about it last week about how can, you know, like whether this is even going to happen, but let's just say it happens. How quickly is the U.S. government going to subsidize and actually have companies built, literally dig up streets, right? We're talking about digging up rural areas and it's, laying it's fiber. Than that. First of all, it's, it's much, it's the- it's, is it streets there or is it farmland? Well, there's already money set aside by the RDOF, which is they're still going through the process. Like it's a this hundred billion dollars. There's no details on it. It's run by the Democrats, right? So if 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 you're a Democrat and you're not going to get one Republican vote for this two trillion dollar infrastructure bill, you're going to put a majority of that hundred billion in rural red states that didn't vote for you or is it going to go into the cities where you know there's obviously also which is what we talked about last week so no i know and so the, so the idea of- that this is going to stop a, a transaction that could be announced certainly in the next 12 months this could and be start to realize those synergies even before the impact of broadband hits those markets then well the synergies are immediate the synergies are in the minute you close those are the, the synergies but, hold on, are but you're missing the point here like even if broadband did occur in rural markets overnight, that how is that not an incentive to merge to lower your cost structure? Like if I'm going to not renew my Telesat satellites to lower my cost of the combined company, like why would I not want to do that if the market was harder for me? If the, it, it creates more incentive for you to to want to to merge and do it quickly. Right. Every every single data point leads you to believe. I don't. I just Direct don't TV and Dish are going to merge sooner than later. I have to imagine that's why TPG is involved in the first place and taking it off of eighteen, or at least taking part of it off of AT and T's hands. They're not taking it because they want to own a satellite business long term. They're buying it because they see an opportunity to capitalize on cost savings. And I don't know. They just this was honestly the crazy, just the absurd tweet of the week for sure because it just make or makes no sense. Can I give a little constructive feedback yeah, while sure. we're Please dunking do. on on Moffitt Nathanson a little bit? Just on the charts, guys, if you're listening um, by any chance, you don't necessarily need three decimal points and to put every number on the chart. 
and it was a little busy and the dots for every data point looks much better if you just smooth it out you don't need the dots there maybe they don't have enough nits on their screen (laughs) i only need a lot of nits because i can't get a lot of light into my eyes (laughs) yo so this is some dmx rip dmx rest in peace um we were all very sad about his passing and we have now completed 52 weeks straight of the light shed so podcast next week is our one year anniversary show and anyone who's listening and we always get feedback should we start with next week being season two episode one or the 53rd episode of the light shed podcast what do you guys I think, think? It's, i think it's at, it's 53 we just keep You're rolling just, up we're episodes. just going till infinity and yeah, we're going to live for volume game that's episode 53 okay my new business lady bye everyone get it too when you see me spiritual you know i'm trying to get